0: Let God transform your life as you listen to this inspiring sermon by Reverend Richard C. Wetcombe What would you do if you slept one night and had a dream? In the dream, the Lord appeared to you and gave you a box. Then the Lord told you, My child, take this box and keep it by your bed. Tomorrow, when you wake up, there will be 86,400 U.S. dollars in the box, cash. And every morning you wake up, There will be a fresh 86,400 U.S. dollars in the box. You take the box and look in wonder at the Lord. Oh, God, you say, this is so wonderful. Thank you so much. Is there anything I should know about this money? Then you hear the Lord say, my child, you can use all of the 86,400 U.S. dollars every day. But whatever you don't use will disappear at midnight. Each morning there will be a fresh $86,400, but each night when you sleep, whatever you didn't use will be gone forever. You cannot save any of yesterday's money for today, and you cannot borrow against any of tomorrow's money. Well, you wake up from your dream in the morning, and you're amazed to discover the box is there by your bed, exactly as the Lord said. With trembling hands, you open the box, and inside is exactly $86,400. You whoop and shout for joy. What would you do with that money? Would you keep it in the box? Would you waste it, ignore it, or hoard it? And every midnight, just as the Lord said, whatever you failed to take out of the box and use suddenly disappears. Yet in the morning, a new fresh batch of $86,400 appears. If you have any wisdom at all, you would quickly learn to take all the money out every day and use it all wisely. If you have any wisdom, you would not leave any of the money in the box. You would not waste any of it or ignore it or neglect it. You would use it all wisely. Every day to the fullest extent. So listen carefully to me today. Something just like this story is already happening to you every day. Every day, God gives each and every one of us a treasure for us to spend as we choose. It's a treasure more valuable than money. It's the treasure of time. Every day, God gives each and every one of us 86,400 seconds of life. Every day we all have 86,400 units of time to spend as we choose. Yet whatever time we don't use, we lose. You can't store it up in a box. You can't borrow against tomorrow's time. It's here for you every day. Yet if you waste it or neglect it or misuse it, it's gone forever. That's why we need wisdom to use our time wisely. Time is one of God's greatest gifts to man. That's why it's called the present. But it's a gift that we must learn to handle with care. So let's take the first step today to discover how to handle the gift of time wisely. But before we do, let's bow our heads and pray. Almighty and everlasting Father, we thank you today in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Thank you for giving us the gift of life. Thank you for giving each and every one of us the same amount of time every day that you've given us to live. Father, we pray today you'll give us wisdom to learn how to properly handle time so we can foolproof our life. We submit to you now. We bind every voice of the enemy that would come to deceive or disturb or distract us. And in the name of the Lord Jesus, I loose the power of the Holy Spirit to minister grace, truth, and life to everyone listening. We thank you by faith in Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. I want to invite you to take a moment, join your faith with mine right now. Put your hand on your chest and pray after me. Lord Jesus, speak to my heart. Change my life. Manifest your glory in me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to today's broadcast. You've made a wise choice of your time today to be in the presence of the Lord and hear his word. Every time spent in God's word is time well spent. For you see, there's nothing more important than seeking God and learning his ways. That's what we've been doing here in our current sermon series called Foolproof. We're learning the wisdom from God that will enable us to foolproof our lives. And we've been learning that there's a question you can ask about every decision, every invitation, every opportunity, and every relationship that will help to guide you and help to foolproof your life. That question is, what's the wise thing to do? Now to help us discover the truth today, I prepared sermon notes. They're free and they're available each and every week for every sermon I preach. You can download the notes from my website or from Facebook or my YouTube channel. I invite you to get your sermon notes out right now and follow along with me as we discover how to foolproof Your time. Our scripture text is at the top of your notes, and it's also on the screen in front of you. But as you know, the Word of God has the most impact when we take it off the page and put it in our hearts and speak it out loud. So let's read God's Word together right now. Read it like you mean it. Are you ready? Three, two, one, go. Be very careful, then, how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. May the Lord bless the reading of his word to your heart today. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Each week as we study this passage of the Bible, something new speaks to me. And today, I want us to take a look at a small six-word phrase right in the middle of our passage. It's found in verse 16, and it says, Making the most of every opportunity. Everybody just say that after me, making the most of every opportunity. Now, as you know, the New Testament wasn't written in English. It was written in the Greek language. So to fully understand what the Bible is teaching us today, we have to understand the Greek word for opportunity. The Greek word translated as opportunity here in this translation is kairos, which literally means the right time. In fact, other translations of the Bible use the word time instead of opportunity. For example, the English Standard Version reads, Making the best use of the time. My favorite translation of this phrase is the Contemporary English Version, which says, Make every minute count. So today, let's find out how we can make every minute count as we learn the three steps to foolproof your time. And to help us foolproof our time, we're going to turn to a psalm in the Old Testament. It's actually the very first psalm that was written. Even though it's number 90, it was written first, not by David, but by Moses. And in this psalm is a beautiful passage that holds the keys to foolproof your time. Hear the word of the Lord. Psalm 90, verses 12 and 17. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. In these two simple verses, we find the three steps to foolproof your time. And here's your first truth today. You've got to count your days. The first thing the scripture in Psalms 90 teaches us is this, we must count our days. Verse 12 says, teach us to number our days. Now at first this may seem puzzling. I mean, after all, how can I count my days? I don't know how long I'm going to live. I don't know what the future may hold. I can't number my days when I could live to 50 or I could live to 90. What does Moses mean when he says, teach us to number our days? Well, I don't think Moses expects us to take out a calculator and add up our projected length of life. But what he's getting at here is that we have to understand that our days are numbered, our days are limited. No matter whether you live 25,315 days or whether you live 31,777 days, we have to understand that life is short. In fact, Job 14.5 tells us that it is God himself who has limited our days. Listen to his word. A person's days are determined. You, meaning God, have decreed the number of his months and have set limits he cannot exceed. So God has determined how many days each and every one of us will live. So even though you cannot know the exact number of your days on earth, God does know. The fact is God never planned for any of us to live here on earth forever. From the moment we're born, God's destiny for us is to die and go to heaven. Hebrews 9.27 says, Just as man is destined to die once. Now most of us don't like to talk about this fact. We don't come right out and discuss death. We don't stand up and shout, I'm destined to die. Even when someone does die, we use inoffensive terms to talk about death. We say the person has passed on or that they've kicked the bucket. We don't like confronting the issue of death head on. But whether we like to talk about it or not, the facts are there. You can hide from it, you can ignore it, and you can pretend it's not true, but every one of us is going to die. Death is inevitable. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4.16. Our bodies are gradually dying. And then 2 Corinthians 5.1 tells us, we know that our body, the tent we live in here on earth, will be destroyed. No matter how rich or how powerful or how successful you are, we're all going to die. You may be the richest man in the world. You may be the Sultan of Brunei or Bill Gates from Microsoft or the Queen of England, but your time is limited. And the fact is, our time is running out. So rather than asking, how much time do I have, the most important question we can ask is, What am I doing with the time I do have? For your time is your most valuable asset. It's the most valuable thing you have because there's not going to be any more of it. You can make more friends, you can make more money, but you can't make more time. So if ever there's an area where we need to ask the question, what's the wise thing to do? It's in the area of our time. Time is the most valuable thing you have. It's limited. And most of us are already old enough to be able to look back at a certain season of our life, or seasons of our life, and we think, oh, I wasted so much time. I gave away so much time. I misspent my time. And we need God to teach us today. We need him to teach us how to count our days to accept our limitations. See, here's the truth you need to pack up and take home with you today. Accepting your limits leads to wisdom. That's why back in Psalm 90, Moses prays, teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. For when you accept your limits, it forces you to find out what is valuable. It forces you to compare and choose the best out of many. When you understand that you can't have it all, you have to evaluate the options. You have to gain wisdom. Not long ago, I went to an all-you-can-eat, serve-yourself buffet dinner. It was an inexpensive restaurant. They stacked the plates up on the right and the food on the left. There was beef and chicken and pork and lamb. There was rice and noodles and bread. You could take as much as you wanted. And there was a dish there that I had never tried before. It looked good, so I took a big spoonful. But when I got back to my seat, I tried it, and I didn't like it. I left the whole thing on my plate. I got back up, went to the table, and took a fresh plate and put something different on it. When my choices were unlimited, I could be careless. If I made a bad choice, it didn't matter. I could just go, take a different one. But when your choices are limited, you will take much more time to consider your choice. When you only get one chance at success, you'll ask, what's the wise thing to do. A few years ago, I was talking to one of the bachelors in my church. I asked him what the most important choice he would make in life apart from accepting Christ. He said it was marriage. Why is that the most important choice? I asked him because most of us only get one wife. You're limited to one, so you better choose wisely. If you pick a bad wife, you can't just easily dump her and get a new one. If you don't like her, you can't just throw her away. Marriage is for life, and so you better choose well. And that's how it is with your time. You've only got a limited amount of time. Knowing our limits makes us find and value and choose what matters most. And that's the second step to foolproof your time. Make your days count. When you know that your days are limited, then you have to make each day count. That's why Moses said in Psalms 90:12, that we may get a heart of wisdom. We need a heart of wisdom to make our days count, because wisdom is the ability to evaluate and choose what matters most. That's why Colossians 4 5 teaches us walk in wisdom, redeeming the time. When we walk in wisdom, we make the most of our time. We save it for a better purpose. So here's the truth you need to pack up and take home with you today. It's not how much time you spend on earth that matters, it's how you spend your time that really counts. Earlier this year, WhatsApp, the messaging app, celebrated its 12th anniversary. That's right, believe it or not, WhatsApp is only 12 years old. It was founded on February 24th, 2009. Now, 12 years is not a long time. But WhatsApp has changed the world and the way we relate to others. There are currently over 2 billion active monthly users on WhatsApp. Over 100 billion messages are sent every day on WhatsApp. So even though WhatsApp has only existed for a short time, it's had a huge significant impact. So what can you accomplish in the next 12 years? See, it's not the amount of time that matters as much as the focus of your time. If you learn to count your days and then focus on making your days count, you can change the world. The problem is you're spending a lot of time and money and effort focusing on things that won't make any difference at the end of your life. You're chasing things that don't last. And if you really understand that your days are numbered and that you only have one chance to get life right, you'd concentrate on what matters most. But when you don't have that wisdom, and when you don't evaluate your values, then you will automatically accept whatever values the world around you gives to you. When you lack wisdom, you'll follow whatever other people tell you. And that's the problem with a lot of people today. The world tells us that beauty is valuable, so we spend time and money trying to look beautiful. But Proverbs 31:30 30 says, Charm is deceptive, and beauty does not last the world tells us that power is valuable so we chase after power but the bible says in ecclesiastes 8:8, no one has power in the day of death the world tells us that wealth is the most important thing in life so we spend all our days chasing money but the bible says in proverbs 23:5, in the blink of an eye wealth disappears for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle the world tells us that life is meant to enjoy. So whatever you do, seek pleasure and relaxation. The goal for some people is to do as little as possible in life. But the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians 3:11 to 13, we hear that some of you are living idle lives, wasting time. So what is it that matters most in life? How can we foolproof our time to make sure we use it wisely and guard against wasting Our lives. One of the best ways to test our use of time is to ask, what would I do if I had only one month left to live? If I knew my days were limited and I knew I was at the end of my life, what would matter most? If you had only one month to live, what would you spend more time doing? What would you drop from your activities? What would you increase in your schedule? In other words, what are your one-month values? What are those things that you would hold on to if you only had one month left to live? Whatever those values are, you have to focus on them today. You have to start living every day right now as if you had only one month to live so that those values would define your life. I learned a lot from watching my father in the last years of his life. He died 13 years ago, and it had a great impact on me. In his last days, you could see what really mattered to him. In his youth, my dad loved to play the game of golf. He played golf for years and would spend day after day on the golf course. But at the end of his life, he never once talked about golf. He never asked to go and play. He never asked to see his golf equipment. My dad loved to eat. He loved Chinese food. But in the last months of his life, he never once asked for Chinese food. He didn't eat much anymore. And he didn't really seem to care what he ate. Whatever we gave him, he would take it. Sometimes he would leave the food and just drink Sprite. My dad loved music, and to travel, and to work in his garden. But at the end, he didn't ask for any of those things. All the things he used to do, all the things he used to love, none of them mattered in the end. There were only two things that mattered to him, God and family. I can still remember when I went to visit him the last time I saw him alive. I walked into the room and his eyes lit up real big. A big smile came on his face. He shouted out my name. He was weak, but he struggled to sit up and reach his arms out to me. When time was short, only significant things mattered. When life was counted in hours, not years, then the truly valuable was what was chosen. He didn't ask to see his diplomas. He didn't ask to see his awards. He didn't call for his gold watch or his bank shares. He didn't ask to see his banker or wear his best suit. He wanted to read the Bible and pray. He wanted to be surrounded by those he loved and those who loved him. For when you only have a limited time, you choose wisely. You choose the things that outlast this life. The things that will continue in eternity. God, people, love, character... Influence, ministry. And too many of us spend our days chasing things that won't last. We become so consumed in running after money. We neglect our spiritual lives. We neglect our families. I'm sorry to say, but some of you parents value money more than you do your children. You're willing to neglect your kids and leave them in front of the TV or computer screen for hours just so you can chase a few more dollars. You're willing to leave your family for years just to travel abroad and make some money. And it's not just the men. Today there are mothers that value their careers more than their children. You want more money so you can buy more things to impress people you don't even like. So you send your children off to be brought up and raised by another woman so you can run after the things of this world. But if you had one month to live, how would that change? Would you stop working overtime and spend more time at home with the people you love? Apart from Jesus, the man who probably made his life count the most was the Apostle Paul. Listen to his words in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19-29. For what is it we live for that gives us hope and joy and is our proud, rewarded crown? It is You, yes, you will bring us much joy as we stand together before our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes back again, for you are our trophy and joy. Paul understood that to make his life count, he had to invest in the things that mattered most, the things that are eternal. And so it is for all of us. Your life can have a multiplied impact when you live for the things that have eternal value. You make your days count when you focus on the things that will last forever. So how do you apply these truths? It does no good to know what matters most, but not know how to achieve what matters most. To foolproof your time, you have to take the wisdom we've learned and apply it to your daily life. You can make your days count so that the total of your days adds up to a life that counts. And that brings us to our third truth today. Count your days one by one. Listen to the final words in Psalms ninety seventeen. Yes, establish the work of our hands. See, here's the truth you need to pack up and take home with you today. A life of lasting impact is built day by day, not overnight. A life that is established is a life of consistent right choices of time. Day by day, one by one, time and time again. That's why your schedule is so important to your success. Your time will be well used or wasted based on the way you schedule your time. If you want to foolproof your time and live a life that counts, you have to ask the question I've been teaching you as it relates to your schedule. In light of my past experience, my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do with my time? So let's take our last few minutes together today to break this down and relate it to our time. First of all, in light of my past experience, what can you learn from your past? The past teaches us that investing small amounts of time over time is cumulative. In other words, daily investments of time add up. If you exercise three or four times a week, week after week, month after month, year after year, then you will reap results It shows you'll be fit and healthy. You'll have strong muscles. If you spend time with God every day for 15 or 20 minutes or even more, and you read your Bible and pray every day, it will add up. You'll grow spiritually. You'll become filled with faith. You'll have your prayers answered, and God will use you. In the key areas of life, it's those constant, regular, daily deposits that make the difference. They're cumulative. That's why Proverbs 13:12 tells us the one who gathers wealth little by little will become rich. In finance, in exercise, in prayer, investing small amounts of time over time every day is cumulative in every area of life. But here's the problem. Doing something once or once in a while doesn't achieve the same benefits. There's no benefit in one installment. I haven't been to the gym in years. If I go today and lift weights for an hour, nobody's going to come up to me tomorrow and say, wow, pasta, I can tell you've been working out. One time doesn't achieve much. It's the same with your spiritual life. One time may not do you much good. Coming to church occasionally when you feel like it won't make you a spiritual giant. And just as incremental daily regular habits are cumulative, so also is neglect. The things you neglect add up as well and take you backwards. Many years ago, when I lived in the Delta state of Nigeria, I learned to speak Pidgin English. I said, well well. Over time, using it daily, I got to be pretty good at speaking Pidgin English. But when I moved to Ghana in 1994, I stopped speaking Pidgin English. And when I stopped using it, I started losing it. Now I can hardly speak it at all. Because daily incremental repetition helped me learn it, and daily incremental neglect made me lose it. If you neglect your wife or husband, you grow further and further apart. If you neglect your health, it adds up. You'll wake up one day with heart disease or obesity and wonder, how did this happen? The past teaches us that it adds up day by day, time and time again. And the problem is this. You can't make up for misspent time. In the areas that matter most, you can't make it up overnight. You can't speed up and make up for lost time in savings, in health, in relationships, and in your spiritual life. If you used to play football when you were a youth, but you haven't played football for 20 years, and you go to the park and play today, you'll be calling in sick tomorrow because you'll be aching all over. If you're 50 years old and you don't have any life savings, you can't make it up. It's too late. And if you're 50 kilos overweight and diabetes is set in, it's too late. You can't make up misspent time. If you haven't spent time with your kids in 10 years, you can't make it up in 10 minutes. If you haven't prayed in years, you can't make up for lost time in one church service. If you haven't been to church in six months, attending four church services or five church services in one Sunday won't make it up. That's why Paul says in our scripture text in Ephesians 5, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of your time. Make every minute count. Be careful. Be wise. Make your time count. So in light of my past, what's the wise thing to do? Start doing what you can today today. To build for tomorrow. For the truth is the present teaches us to do today what I can do to enable me to do tomorrow what I can't do today. We see this in the life of the great prophet Daniel. Daniel was a Hebrew slave sent to live in exile in Babylon. When he got there, he was a youth. He didn't start out as a spiritual giant. But in the face of adversity, he made a commitment to the daily discipline of his time. He invested his time in daily habits of spiritual growth. That's why Daniel 6.10 says... Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he'd done before. And when it came time to face the lion's den, he was ready. Daniel was strong when he needed to be because he'd built a daily habit of doing the thing he could do that would enable him to do tomorrow what he couldn't do today. So in light of your present circumstances, what's the wise thing to do? You have to begin to schedule daily commitments to do today that will lead you to be able to do tomorrow. That's the lesson we learned from one of the best-selling authors in the world, John Grisham. John Grisham was an attorney, and believe it or not, he hated his job. His real dream in life was to become an author of books, but he didn't know how to do that. As an attorney, he was always busy working morning, noon, and night. He couldn't quit his job to write, so it seemed that he would never achieve his dream to be an author. But then one day he decided to make a slight change to his schedule. Grisham used to begin seeing clients at 9 a.m. He changed his schedule and started seeing clients at 10 a.m. He spent the one hour between 9 a.m. and 10 a.m. writing every day. And in that one hour he would write one page of his novel. He started doing it and he kept doing it day by day, time and time again. What was the result of one small change? In his schedule? What did John Grisham achieve by doing today what he could do so that he could do tomorrow what he couldn't do before? John Grisham has sold 300 million books. Not 3 million, 300 million books. He's one of the most prolific and appreciated novelists of our day. You don't sell 300 million books all at once, you don't accomplish that overnight. You do it one hour a day, every day day by day, time and time again. The problem with a lot of us is we look at the results of successful people and ignore the building blocks that got them there. We see wealthy and influential men, and we don't realize the price they paid. Sometimes young men come to me and say, Reverend, I want to be like you in ministry. But did you see where I started from? My wife and I began our ministry together in 1983. We moved to a town called Sapale in the Delta of Nigeria. We lived in a very old house. There was no running water, no tap. We got our water from a well. We learned to drop the bucket to get the water out and pull it up by the rope. Then the well went dry. and We had to trek to the compound nearby to get water. We slept in a single bed, not a family bed. She slept on one side and hung off her edge and I slept on the other side and hung off my edge. We had one small table fan and it was on my wife's side of the bed. When we came to Ghana in 1994, we lived with our four children in a boy's quarter. It was small. It was okay. We didn't mind. We're not in the ministry for luxury. We're here for Jesus and for you. It wasn't easy. There were times we felt like giving up. We didn't succeed in ministry overnight. But here we are, 39 years later, because we lived our lives day by day, making them count one by one. So do today what your future self will thank you for tomorrow, because making daily choices today accumulates significance and leads to the future of your dreams. For my future teaches me to say no to the trivial and the random so that I can seek first what matters most. You can't do it all. You have to choose. Say no to the trivial and yes to the eternal. Where do you need to begin investing consistent deposits of your time? What investment of time do you need to make today to achieve your future hopes and dreams? You've got to do the work today to have the future you dream of. That requires an investment of time. When faced with a decision about your time, ask yourself, what's the wise thing to do? Based on my past experience, my present circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what's the wise thing to do with my time? You can begin here today by putting God first in your schedule. If you'll put God first, he guarantees you'll have enough time for the other things. For Matthew 6.33 says, but more than anything else, put God's work first and do what he wants. Then the other things will be yours as well. So today, commit to putting God first in your schedule. Begin committing to put a daily time of prayer and Bible study together first. And weekly by coming to church, financially by paying your tithe, and from there, begin choosing other investments of your time wisely. Count your days. Make your days count. Count them one by one. It's the wise thing to do, and that's how you can foolproof your life. Father, I thank you for each one watching and listening today. I pray that the wisdom from above will be ours as we see how we can make our lives count, how we can count our days one by one and live them to the fullest for your glory. Put within us a desire to make changes today to our choices and our schedules that will lead us to a life that is well lived. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. The hope God bless you for listening to this message. Reverend Richard C. Whitcomb is the senior pastor of Agape House New Testament Church in East Avon. If you are ever in Accra, we would like you to worship with us on Saturday night at 6 p.m. or on Sunday at 7.30, 9.30 9 30, or 1130 30 a.m. You will have an awesome experience.